Radio Parallax has traditionally had no better friend in radio, particularly here at KDVS, than the illustrious poet laureate of Davis himself, Dr. Andy Jones, who on a weekly basis hosts Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour. He's been doing it since before we got here, and he'll probably be doing it after we're sadly gone. And it's my great pleasure to welcome him back to the show, currently en route to Lake Tahoe. Welcome back, Dr. Andy. Thank you, Doug. It's always great to be on your show, even though we're already discussing its demise. (laughs) (laughs) We'll hopefully be put off for quite a while. I want to congratulate you for doing your duty. You're, you're up enjoying the wonders of Lake Tahoe, and yet you traveled down Highway 80 to, to do your regular show. Well done. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's good to appreciate the air and the ambiance and the palm trees of Davis, California, which <laughs> is way down there at sea level. But now I'm, I'm heading back up to the above-mile-high city of Kings Beach, California, where we can enjoy some more of the lake and other alpine pleasures. Well, outstanding. I see that you're getting quite a bit of ink, and uh, it looks like for the third month in a row, you are in the Sacramento Bee. Are you going to be in the Bee every month? I'm going to try. Okay. You, you, you should tell the listeners that I'm not in the crime pages, but I'm actually <laughs> submitting op-ed pieces on a regular basis. And I'm uh, I'm hitting three for four so far. One a month, as you said. So they're they're liking what I'm sending them. Well, just for the record, we did clear up that little misunderstanding you had with Interpol. So I didn't expect to see you in the crime pages. Thank you for your help with that. <laughs> I want to I want to go in reverse order here and talk about some subjects you and I have, have, have said we should should discuss. And by God, today I think is the day to do it. Starting with your your current. Um, uh, piece in the B. You, you're talking a bit about courage and some memories of a friend, some rather poignant memories about someone I think you did make passing mention of in this program before. A guy from your youth that was influential and still influencing you now. Like you, Doug, he was a pilot, which of course impressed all of us, but he was my closest friend as a child. His name was Tito, and uh, when my parents were going through a rough time that eventually resulted in their divorce, I was often sent down to Tito's house to play for a weekend, which I welcomed. I appreciated being oblivious about the conflict at home. And Tito and I were uh, adventuresome friends from uh, first grade all the way up through college years. Wow. He's someone who taught me about courage, which is the, the topic of my piece in The Bee, because he was chasing after girls more uh, sooner than the rest of us. <laughs> Uh, and he was an artist, and he was a, uh, a hiker and a mountain climber. He was so interested in Native American culture that he was basically adopted by a tribe in North Carolina that he would continually visit. And so uh, he was a, a hero to me for his entire life. When I was about to get into the car to go get married to Kate 22 years ago, Uh, Of course, I had sent Tito a response, but I didn't hear back. And uh, there he was, standing outside my doorway. He had flown his plane all the way to Hinsdale, Illinois, to join us without letting me know. The caterers were miffed, but we were overjoyed. And so it was, was, you know, one of many fond memories that I had of my best friend in the youth. 
Well, we should all be so lucky as to have a friend like that. And, and I guess you, you sadly uh, uh, lost him when he was very young, 26, I guess? He was 26 years old. He, um, I mean, that adventuresome quality uh, will sometimes catch up with you. And he was uh, flying between a couple of uh, mountain peaks in snowy and foggy Alaska and had misjudged uh, where one of those mountains was until too late. It came upon him all of a sudden in the fog. He had just dropped off some passengers, so he was the only uh, person upon a, uh, in a, I think it was a Cessna, that uh, crashed into that, that mountain. So I've certainly missed him for uh, these many years since. Well, to be flying as a, a pilot up in Alaska, you, you do have to be a rather courageous person, that's for sure. But your piece starts off talking about uh, a, a courageous episode of, involving you, I, and, and I did not know this about you, sir, that you uh, you courageously moved to Berkeley without clear prospects back in the day, and as you note in the piece, having felt summoned to California by Jack Kerouac. Jack Kerouac's prose was really important to me my freshman and sophomore year in college, so much so that uh, one of my best friends, who then we called Smoker Bob, I think he's the last person I know who still smokes. Uh, Smoker Bob and I just love Jack Kerouac so much that we decided to get in the car and drive to California in the summer between our sophomore and junior years of college. And I loved California. I loved Berkeley so much that I decided that if I had no prospects, I would move right back and become a California resident, spending that entire year reading to prepare for a Ph.D. program in English. And eventually, uh, UC Davis not only offered me a spot in their program, but also a job during the six years it took me to earn that master's degree and Ph.D. Well, outstanding. That showed a bit, quite a bit of guts. Since you're bringing up Kerouac, you, I, I know that some months back he was in the news, or at least a supposed letter that was influential to Jack Kerouac was in the news. It had presumably been lost for years, but has now been found. And I think we need to talk about this. Apparently, Neil Cassidy, his friend, wrote something that uh, changed Kerouac's writing style. Neil Cassidy was to Jack Kerouac and others a lot like what Tito was to me in that he was totally brave, he did not care so much about convention, and he was a, a literary inspiration and a spiritual inspiration to many of the writers around him, even though uh, Neil Cassidy didn't amount to much himself as a writer. But he appears prominently, obviously, in On the Road and in other Jack Kerouac books, and he was a, a famous writer of, of letters, and this one, uh, really did a number on, on Jack and his writing style and uh, should be seen as a, a major influence on that important mid-century American writer. Now, I understand it's called the Joan Anderson Letter, and people blamed it for blowing off a houseboat in Sausalito, and fingers are being pointed back and forth, but it turned up uh, having been been preserved in somebody's uh, bookstore owner's archives, I guess. And I guess my first, I guess what I have to ask, have you, have you had a chance to read this whole work that Kerouac praised so highly? I didn't read the whole thing. I started reading uh, the excerpts before one of my several children started tugging on my pant leg and asking me to take her to the park, which is what I ended up doing. <laughs> I wonder if, like so many things, if it will live up to its reputation once people get a chance to really take a look at it. I think today its function is more important than its literary quality. The fact that it had an influence on 
Jack Kerouac and Drew Kerouac, so many others. And, of course, a sad follow-up, being that we are Americans living in America, that uh, this, this illustrious letter has no sooner surfaced, but a legal battle has ensued over who actually has the rights to it, and I guess they had to cancel the, uh, the auctioning of this letter owing to these, uh, these conflicts. A lot of times there's a difference between who owns the document and who owns the words in the document, so that a document can be purchased, but it just can't be shared, which kind of defeats the purpose. I guess the same thing happened with the words of Martin Luther King with that new movie, Selma. They, they, I guess the, the King family actually owns the rights to the speeches, and they couldn't use them. The King family had sold the rights to Martin Luther King's words to another filmmaker, and therefore the director of Selma could not use those words. She did not have to rewrite them, uh, write the sort of speeches that King might give in order to fill the pulpit scene of that important American film. Well, I have more questions about about some uh, some literary people that have been in the news of late, but I want to go back to your, your pieces in the B. Uh, you, last month had, a, had a, quite a wonderful piece also concerning your lovely daughter and, and, and I guess the, her own courage and having to face uh, some corrective devices she was stuck with for quite a long time. Well, you probably know a lot more about scoliosis than I do, but yes, my daughter Geneva was in a back brace for about four years and she had to wear that thing 23 hours a day, which meant that she slept in it and had to plan around showers, swimming lessons, school dances to figure out when she could be liberated. And now, finally, just this year, Geneva's been liberated from her brace and she feels and looks like a new woman, in part because she doesn't have to account for a big, bulky midsection with every blouse or dress that she would wear. Well, that that's a wonderful thing. She's 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 certainly a a perky, wonderful girl, and I'm I'm glad that she's been liberated. Not only that, but she's standing up straight. Her uh, legs somehow are both of the same size. It seems miraculous. It's the miracle of modern medicine for which I'm deeply grateful. Unlike Ted Cruz, I do believe in <laughs> science. Yes, indeed. And I, I want to say, I, I've been meaning to talk about talk to you about the piece you did, I, I believe it was January 2nd in the Sacramento Bee, talking about a, a somewhat unfortunate incident involving your son that, that I'd like you to tell us about. It was quite a moving piece that was, was in the Bee. Thank you very much, Doug. Yeah. Uh, so on Christmas Day, like many, many families do, we headed to the movie theater to watch a film. I have three kids, Geneva, who we just mentioned, is 17. My son, Juki, is 14, and my son, Truman, is 9. Truman usually gets to pick the films that we see, and, and we had seen a Lost in the Museum sequel. And much more interesting than the film, I thought, were the two gentlemen in their early 20s sitting in front of us who did not at all appreciate the sounds of appreciation that were coming from my son, Juki. Juki is a kid with autism. He's also got a rare syndrome called Smith-Lemley-Opitz syndrome. And he, instead of laughing at a movie, he will uh, cluck his appreciation of the dialogue or a story or an image. And other people were turning and smiling at us, as you often find, and as I have found for years in the city of Davis. But these two men sitting in front of us they were really obnoxious. They 
yelled out loud that that noise has to stop. One of them turned around and shined his iPhone flashlight in my eyes and Juki's eyes and really used the sort of behavior that we have not seen elsewhere in Davis. And I think it's largely because the school district has so focused on anti-bullying measures that kids who are different are welcomed. I really admire Davis for its uh, attitude, collectively speaking, towards uh, people who are different and kids and adults with disabilities of various sorts. But these two people did not see Davisites to me. Juki and I moved uh, further away from them so that they wouldn't be able to hear Juki's sounds. Kate, my wife, gave them a, a talking to him. They were shining their light into a, the eyes of a kid with autism. And they said that if he has autism, he shouldn't be going to the movies. And nice. then she pointed out that, of course, he has as much right to attend the movies as anyone else. So it was a disturbing episode, but there were some other folks nearby who came up to wish us a, a Merry Christmas. And we just huddled as a family. You know, Juki, he gets a lot of affection from our family a lot of uh, welcome hugs, and uh, so that's what he got from us in front of that movie theater on that day. It was a good lesson that uh, not everyone treats people with differences well, but that we can all compensate through the love that we give our families and that we give strangers who need it. And, and how nice it was, as you tell in the piece, that uh, a, 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 a mom and her adult son uh, really went out of their way to, to sort of do what they could to undo the untoward behavior of these uh these miscreants. Yes, M- miscreants, that's, that's the word I'm looking for. She was wonderful, and, and she was someone who earlier in, uh, you know, while we were watching the previews, looked over and, and smiled at us. And I must say, Doug, I get this all the time because I am uh, the parent who travels and takes Juki out on adventures the most. And parents, especially moms, they so appreciate when a dad is doting on his kids. But then when he's doting on his kids with disabilities, they just think, you know, this this is a dad to be admired. And I think that, you know, loving your kids should be a default activity rather than a, a an admirable activity. I've certainly appreciated, you know, the, the looks and encouragement that I've had. And a lot of it's nonverbal. But, yeah, this woman came up and uh, she wished us Merry Christmas and she looked me right in the eyes and gave us a big smile. She had overheard the entire interaction, and she wanted to remind us that there are plenty of good people in the world. Well, uh, it, it's it's a wonderful story, and I, I'm I'm glad for the the maybe the one chance I've had to put a smile on Juki's face when you brought him by one day, and I was able to say, Juki, you ever seen how you can start a fire by rubbing two cats together? <laughs> and my cats did cooperate by allowing me to uh, to rub them, and he seemed to appreciate that. I'm sure. Well, I mean, and many people have a response to Juki as as you do. You know, first it's like quizzical, what's up with this kid? But then to see the joy in his eyes is, is wonderful, especially for a kid who's nonverbal like Juki is. I so appreciated the incredible response, mostly from strangers, that that story about Juki elicited. I know from checking on the statistics that it has been shared over 1,500 times on Facebook and another few hundred times on Twitter. And these are mostly by people who I don't know. So obviously this story resonated with people and offers us a a good reminder of the variety of people in the world and how we all deserve love and affection.
affection and appreciation for who we are. And something else I want to remind people of is your tireless efforts to promote poetry. We crossed in the paths in the streets of Davis last week, and you were going to another, yet another uh, poetry reading event. And I guess uh, a former personality from, from KDVS, Joshua Clover, was going to be there as well? Joshua Clover was our featured poet. We had about 100 people show up to the John Vitsoulis Gallery last Thursday. And this happens every first and third Thursday at that Center for the Arts at First and E Streets in Davis. If people are interested, I hope that they'll visit poetryindavis.com. They can sign up for the mailing list there. But yes, I host uh, a number of events in the city, as I feel obligated to do as Poet Laureate. In fact, when I was chosen as Poet Laureate, they told me they would love it if I would host a radio show on poetry and then run a poetry series twice a month. And I said, great, I'll do it. Of course, I'd already been doing that for about a decade. But still, I've been able to keep that promise to the community. Well done, sir. Thank you very much. I have to ask you about this controversy over Harper Lee. She wrote a, a, a book that I think probably everybody in America has read. It's a wonderful book. Uh, we read, all read it in high school. To Kill a Mockingbird, an epic movie back in the 60s with Gregory Peck. But there's always been a controversy over whether she really wrote it. And now eyebrows have been raised by the fact that her lawyer, 50 years later, says, oh, I've got some more work by her. What do you make of this? We're really curious to see if the writing voice in this second book resembles that of the first. You mentioned of uh, the popularity of this book. Last night, for other reasons, I was checking out the top 50 best-selling books on Amazon, and To Kill a Mockingbird is in the top 30. Wow. And that's today, wow. all these decades later. Wow. So you can imagine all the people who would benefit from another Harper Lee book, uh, even if it doesn't have quite the same quality as that classic. Yeah. We are all curious, and we all want to read it, even though some people feel that Truman Capote had more than a glancing influence <laughs> on the writing style of uh, his very good friend, Harper Lee. Well, that was my next question. Do you think there may be something to the Truman Capote theory? One of the things that people talk about is how Truman Capote gave a blurb for the book where he said something to the effect of, the author of this book has written an instant classic. <laughs> and people were saying, why not just say it was Harper Lee, Truman Capote? <laughs> So who knows what those two talked about endlessly. Certainly, Truman Capote was an excellent craftsman when it came to nonfiction and fiction. So I, I'd be curious to know the extent to which uh, he helped out with that first book and to see if that second book has any of that yeah. same influence, any of the magic of the original. And so some folks may not realize, but one of the characters in the book is, is actually is, is based on uh, Truman Capote, who was a, a childhood friend of, of Harper Lee. Absolutely. And I'm sure that the friendship and the collaboration between them uh, is crucially important to the success of, of each writer. We should each have uh, people around us who are so creative and encouraging as those two were for one another. Well, uh, we certainly uh, would refer to Dr. Andy yourself as being very uh, encouraging and helpful to our program, and you've done it again, sir. Uh, I, I know that uh, you're anxious to get back up to Tahoe. Enjoy that pure air up there, but we have to have you back on again soon. 
I would love that. If Truman Capote were in the car next to me, he would probably be saying, Dr. Doug means eager rather than anxious. But yes, we're heading right up the mountain, and we're going to head right back to uh, Lake Tahoe for some more hiking and swimming and maybe even skiing uh, during these last waning days of our spring break. Well, Dr. Andy, before you go, could you uh, please uh, give us an update on, I know being the as tech-savvy as you are, you not only have many websites and things people can, can hook up to. Where should they go? I do. I hope people will visit poetryindavis.com. It's where you can find out about upcoming poets who are reading. For instance, Allegra Silberstein is reading on the 2nd of April, just next Thursday, at the John and Sulis Gallery. She's the first-ever poet laureate of the city of Davis. She's got a new book out, so we're very much looking forward to that. Other than that, if people want to find out more about me personally, they can visit andyojones.com. There are links there to some of the writing that I've done, a few photographs, and some of my blog entries. So I hope people will check that out as well. Uh, and we hope so, too. And as we close, I want to also thank uh, Kate for uh, making this interview possible by doing the driving. She has been uh, driving very well. She's listening to National Public Radio right now and therefore is entirely content. In fact, only two of us do not have headphones in our ears at this moment. It's a time of true family togetherness. <laughs> Dr. Andy, always a pleasure. Come back Come back soon. Will do. All right. All right. Take care, Dr. Andy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're glad he's been finally made the Poet Laureate of Davis. For a long time, he's been the Poet Laureate of Radio Parallax. Let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett.